Hi there, it's episode 154, and today we're talking about a simplified approach to parenthood. You are listening to the Simple Families Podcast, a Q&A style show that brings you solutions for living well with family. Here's your host, Danae Barahona. Hi, it's Danae. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is episode 154, and today I am really excited to share this journey to simplicity with you. In this journey to simplicity, I am following the story of a Simple Families community member. Her name is Nicole Smith. Nicole was brand new to Simple Families and joined the community back in December when she joined us in the masterclass. This is one of my new favorite episodes, and I think you're going to love it too. It's been amazing to hear and to see the growth that she's had in just a really short amount of time. Before we get into today's episode, here's a word from our sponsor. The sponsor for today is PrepDish, and of course, if you've been listening to the podcast for any amount of time, you've probably heard these ads for PrepDish before because I love PrepDish and I'm a huge supporter. Now, if you're not familiar with PrepDish, it's a meal planning service, and each week they send you a menu of meals to cook. They have a paleo option, a gluten-free option, and now a keto option. These come in three parts, so there's an ingredient list for shopping, There's a prep day list for all the work that you need to do on one day in advance of the week, and then a meal day list, which tells you how to do the last minute preparations for all the meals. If your kids have any bit of a witching hour in the evenings, or if evenings are just generally a hard time because you're tired and they're tired and executing a meal just sounds impossible, prep dish is an awesome solution. I encourage you to give it a try. Go to PrepDish.com forward slash families. Again, that's PrepDish.com forward slash families, and you'll get two weeks free. All right, back to today's episode. So today I have this chat with Nicole Smith. Now, Nicole and I sat down a little over a month ago to record this episode, and the reason that I chose Nicole was that I've been particularly interested in exploring the idea of parenting through fear. And this is something that we talk about in the masterclass. We have a whole lesson on parenting with less fear. And a huge piece of Nicole's journey into motherhood is that her first child died shortly after birth. Now, Nicole has done a lot of work in the grief and loss communities, and I think she brings incredible insight into this. And in particular, I wanted to explore with her, how does this impact your parenting going forward when you have faced and realized the biggest fear of any parent. How does it change you? How does it change your relationship with your future children? And how does it impact your overall well-being and mental health? So many of us carry this heavy burden of parenting through fear and worrying about the safety and well-being of our children nearly constantly. I've truly enjoyed getting to know Nicole and hearing about how she has found lightness on this journey to simplicity. I am excited to announce that the masterclass enrollment has reopened today. This class is going to start on April 30th, and it's going to go for eight weeks. So I encourage you to go ahead and grab your spot after this. It's not going to reopen again until the fall. This eight-week program takes form in two main parts. For the first month, the first four lessons, we focus on simplifying the home, looking at the physical stuff, and primarily a family-centric approach to simplifying the home. That means we're looking at the areas that are the most relevant to parents with younger children, like the toys, the kitchen, the kids' clothes, and even the parents' clothes. We'll talk about it all. 
And then after we simplify the home, we move into simplifying parenting. And when I say simplifying parenting, sometimes it can be hard to understand what exactly that means. And I think after hearing from Nicole today, you're going to have a better idea of what that looks like. So grab your spot. Go to simplefamilies.com forward slash masterclass. Again, that's simplefamilies.com forward slash masterclass. And actually today, in the spirit of launching the masterclass, I have two short mini listener spotlights from two previous participants, Marie and Martha. Marie wrote, I want to say a resounding thank you for offering this class and your welcoming grounded approach. It has lightened my home and mental load amazingly, so much that I'm really wanting to savor each step and not rush through, which is my usual approach. And Martha wrote, I have absolutely been changed by this program. I knew some of these concepts in theory, but you have succinctly put them into actionable practice, which is why I love this and all of your other courses. So I want to say thank you to Marie and to Martha and of course to Nicole for sharing your stories. It's been truly remarkable to see something that I have created has transformed and touched the lives of people all over the world. And I have loved sharing this journey with all of you. So without further ado, here is my chat with Nicole. Now I do have to tell you that I had a major palm to face moment after recording this interview with Nicole because it was really great and I loved the insight that she brought, but I realized that I had forgotten to turn on my microphone. So Nicole's audio sounds amazing, but if it sounds like I have my head in a tin can, that's why. But I thought this was such a great, important conversation. I decided I didn't want to re-record and I wanted to leave it as is. So bear with me. Thanks again for tuning in. You'll find the links to everything that Nicole and I are talking about today in the show notes. That's also where you can leave questions and comments. Go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 154. Hi, Nicole. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I'm excited to hear more about your journey to simplicity because I know that you're fairly new to this journey. I am. It wasn't really until late last year that I really decided to take the dive into simplicity. So it's been um, short-lived, but a long time coming. I love to hear that. Yeah. And so for anyone <laughs> listening, the way that I met you and came in contact with you is you were doing my first round of the masterclass that I did in January and February. And I was doing course calls, um, just talking to some people in the program to see how it was going for them and to learn a little bit more about them. And I talked with you on the phone for a while and you shared your story and I, and you have been an active participant throughout the program. And I just, well, I feel like I want to share your story and I want everybody else to hear more about your story as well, because you have made a lot of really great changes in a short amount of time. And I think you're mm -hmm. a great example of the fact that it is possible and it doesn't have to take years and years and years. Correct. I, I have been surprised myself actually at um, once the ball started rolling, it's just been, um, it's been really interesting to watch how it's all been unfolding uh, and completely fascinating to me to see how other women around the world were impacted by the same issues and the same concerns. Um, but, but really, you know, I think you have to be ready to make those changes and you have to be at a point in your life when you're just um, all in. Not that you can't do it over time, but for me um, to get started, it just needed to be, um, it needed to be all or nothing. And, and so I've, I've just been plugging away. 
Yes. And I love to hear that. So tell me a little bit more about you and what did you do before you had kids? How old are your kids? Um, my oldest is three, just over three years old. And my youngest is five and a half months. Um, before I had children, I had a successful career in sales uh, and account management for a large healthcare um, health insurance company. Nationwide, I worked with large employers managing their health benefits, creating wellness programs. I also had a nutritional health coaching business that I did on the side. Um, very busy. My husband and I led um, busy professional lives. I led a very busy social life. I volunteered for a couple different organizations. And so I think it's best to just say that, you know, we were of the mindset, I was of the mindset that busier was better. And, um, and that's how I, I kept my schedule. And then I had children. and It was um, a, a big smack in the face that that life had to had to change a little bit. Now, did you anticipate staying with your full-time job when you were pregnant with your first? I did. I did. So our story is a little different in that the first uh, time, the first child that we had, um, had a normal textbook pregnancy, um, but there were some complications at delivery and she ended up passing away after only 36 hours and it was, it was completely unexpected through us, obviously for a loop changed our whole world. Um, nothing that you could ever prepare for. And so, you know, I, I took my full 12 week maternity leave after her loss, after her death and, um, really took that time to kind of try and process what had just happened, even though 12 weeks is not long enough to to do that. Um, but I returned to work knowing that eventually I wanted to have more children. Um, but life had just changed, you know, things, things were different. I looked at what I was doing on a daily basis differently. And I recognized that, that time was more important, uh, than I think I had, I had, um, there was more importance placed on it than I had given before. And so when we then got pregnant again, um, I knew that I wanted to make some changes either to my career so that I was home more, uh, or that eventually, you know, I felt like I I might just want to stay home, but I wasn't sure. And I wanted to at least have the baby and see how that all unfolded. My uh, second child was born in December 2015, and throughout that 12-week maternity leave, it became very clear to me that I needed to leave my job and and stay home, which wasn't an easy decision for our family um, because I, I had a very successful career. I was the breadwinner. It made a difference in you know, every aspect of our life if I decided to stay home. Um, but I think it was really important. And my husband and I, the more we we spoke about it, recognized that 
this time with our children was very important. And, and so I decided to, to leave my job and, and stay home full time. When we were chatting, Nicole, when you're doing the masterclass, one of actually we chatted during week five and week five in the masterclass is the lesson around parenting with less fear. And mm-hmm. I was really struck speaking with you around that lesson, because part of in the lesson, I talk about this idea that as parents, we often find ourselves by default because of the love and passion that we have for our children, parenting through the lens of fear, looking mm-hmm. for every possible way that our child might be hurt or injured or ultimately might die. And that this is, it truly is the the biggest fear that everyone has as a parent. And absolutely after, so I was, after I, I did this lesson and then I talked with you and as this parent who really has had this ultimate fear realized, which to me was very, um, it kind of awoke me to this idea that what what does that look like? It once you once you've faced that fear, how does that change you as a parent? Well, you know, changes you as a parent, changes you as a person. I I recognized very quickly that. Um, I would like to say that I've always been somebody who likes things in control. I I like to be in control of situations. I like to be in control of my schedule. But after we lost our daughter, it it magnified uh, tenfold. I I struggled really. um, I struggled with controlling little details. So for me, it was interesting because I work with a lot of lost parents. I speak with a lot of lost parents. Um, throughout this journey. And, you know, one thing that, that I recognize that's very common is a lot of parents tend to hover a lot. And, and you know, like you were saying, they want to make sure that, that children that they have after they've lost a child, um, they tend to uh, maybe keep tabs on them a little bit closer, um, you know, make sure that they're, that they're keeping them safe in every possible way. And for me, I wasn't necessarily trying to protect my baby in every situation, but I found that I was trying to control every little detail um, down to, you know, what clothes he wore. You know, if my husband was in charge uh, or I left for a little bit and, and I came home and my husband didn't have him in the right type of pajamas for the weather, I would, I would become very angry and, and, you know, felt like every little nitpicky detail had to be controlled. Um, so for me, it wasn't necessarily all of the big things. It was all of the small things too, which became very overwhelming for me. Um, I, I definitely struggled after my son was born with, with postpartum anxiety, uh, and depression. Um, but, you know, throughout his childhood, I'm happy to say that I've, I've begun to let go of some of that. I had begun to let go of some of that for us. Our, our faith plays into that. There are other things I I have a really great support system and and village to rely on, which I recognize not all parents have. Uh, So we've been very fortunate, but taking your class really helped me to recognize that there are still some schemas I'm holding on to and things that I needed to come to terms with and sit with to ask myself, you know, why do I parent this way? Um, 
am I still con- trying to control a little too much for as much as I felt like I had worked on some things? I definitely recognized that there was still, there's still work to be done. Right. And I think we all have work to be done for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. think in general, just looking at the parenting community and I think about during pregnancy, when you're preparing to become a mother that I know I had miscarriages before I had my first and I mm-hmm. felt so I felt like I couldn't really enjoy my pregnancy because I had so much Mm -hmm. fear during my pregnancy. Did you feel that way when you were pregnant with your first son? You know, I, I did at times. Um, I felt very confident. I will say during, during his pregnancy that we were going to come home with a baby. I, I really did feel that. My last child, though, my my most recent pregnancy was completely different. You would have thought that it would have been my oldest son that I had all of the the issues with. Um, but I, too, had I've had three miscarriages. I had one in between my daughter and my son. And then I had two back to back miscarriages before we had um, our most recent child last fall. And it was that pregnancy, this last pregnancy that I, I think I struggled the most. And, you know, you mentioned as parents, you know, you, um, you have all of, all of these fears and things that you hold on to, but, you know, one of the things we talked about in your class was how social media and the news can magnify some of that. And I think me being active in the lost community, it, it brings me into contact with families that maybe you know, the average person wouldn't necessarily meet on top of all of the social media pleas that you see to, you know, help fund accounts to pay for medical bills or children who are going through things, uh, parents who lose children, um, the news in general. Um, And so I had come into contact with a family, actually two families that had lost multiple children during my last pregnancy. And it was it started to kind of become ingrained in my head that maybe I'm, maybe I'm coming into contact with these families because this is going to happen to me again. And, you know, just because you've lost one child doesn't mean you can't lose another one. And so I, I think it was harder for me in this last pregnancy, um, which thankfully by the end, I, I felt more at peace with things and, and we had a, a successful pregnancy. We have a very healthy son. Um, but, but I definitely was surprised that I struggled more with that pregnancy than with the one right after her loss. Yeah. And I I could absolutely see that first child sort of you thinking, Oh, this couldn't possibly happen to me twice. But then that Mm -hmm. sort of that confidence faded with your second, it sounds like. Absolutely. Oh, interesting. So I, yeah. And I, I think that the fear that many women experience during pregnancy, and even if they haven't had a traumatic experience around pregnancy, I think it's still when, especially when it's new and it's the first time, and there's so many unknowns that mm-hmm. it just leads us to really parent with a lot of intensity. I think about like how many ultrasounds I had during my first pregnancy, like so many ultrasounds. And at the end I was, I wasn't high risk, but I was moderate risk because of my previous losses. But I had an ultrasound at every single exam in the second half of my pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And I finally was to the point where I was like, this is actually not giving me peace of mind. This is making me far more anxious every time they measure him. And every time that they sort of like, they look into every finite detail, I found 
knowing more actually didn't give me peace of mind. Knowing more was actually just more for me to worry about. Absolutely. Absolutely. I hear that from a lot of people. And, and I also felt that I, I was very cautious about how much I wanted to do during my pregnancies. You know, I will say that with my oldest son, we, we did a little bit more just because it was recommended. Um, you know, I, I had the loss, uh, you know, even though my daughter's death had nothing to do with my pregnancy. It was, um, you know, it, it, we had a very textbook pregnancy. She ingested some meconium and unfortunately was not able to have enough oxygen, um, from delivery until, uh, she got to, to the NICU. Um, but you know, with, with my son, you know, it was, it was the oldest son. It was, um, you know, just everyone was recommending these things. And I kept thinking, okay, well, yeah, that's, that's what I should do. I also had, I was going to be 35 when I delivered him. So now, you know, in the United States, now all of a sudden you're, geriatric. Um, you're <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, all of that on top of it made for, uh, a lot more, um, a lot more scans, a lot more interventions, which I agree with you. By the end of it, I remember sitting at these non-stress tests thinking, um, this is stressing me out. And <laughs> yes. it's not supposed to, you know, I'm supposed to just be listening to my baby and, you know, checking and making sure. But every little movement I kept thinking, is he moving enough? Is he doing what they want him to do? Um, are they going to come in and tell me I have to go straight to the hospital and have this baby right now? And, and everything turned out fine. But, um, with our last pregnancy, we ended up turning down some of those scans, which maybe then fed into, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you win some, you lose some, you can't always tell how you're going to feel, but, um, I chose not to have as many interventions the last time around and I still had much more anxiety. So who knows, but yeah, and it I, definitely plays into it. Yeah, I think that the like then when you do have an experience like this, like I had and like you had, where you have anxiety during pregnancy, and I think this is not uncommon by any means, that it just it, it sort of can continue on after the birth and it can mm-hmm. continue on into toddlerhood and into the preschool years. And there is pressure, I feel pressure from society to parent my children intensely. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that pressure to hover and to I be do. there and to do everything? I do. You know, it's interesting to me. I I told myself, especially after having our loss, I told myself that I did not want to be that parent. I, I wasn't going to, I didn't want to take away my child, my son's childhood. I didn't want to be overbearing. And, and for, for any children that I had after my daughter, I didn't want them to feel punished because she died. That was very important to me. And, um, now obviously recognizing that, you know, when they become teenagers, they might throw that in my face, like, you know, (laughs) stop hovering, you know, you're doing, why are you doing this? But I, I knew as they were little kids, I, I didn't want to add or magnify any of that because of what had happened with her. And, um, but, but then you, you start to parent and you, are around other people and you recognize that, um, people are, are doing things a little differently or, you know, you, you take your kid to one of these open play areas and every 
mom is just following their kid around, making sure that they're sharing and that they're not getting hurt. And, and I started to recognize that, you know, it wasn't just me who had some of these fears or parented, you know, felt this natural tendency to, to do those things that everyone around me was doing it. So I kept thinking, well, I guess that's just what you're supposed to do then. Even though everything in me was telling me that I needed to just let him go and let him experience life, I found that I did become that mother who followed her kid around and made sure he was sharing and told him to be careful all the time. And if he didn't share, I would go take whatever he had took from somebody and return it to that child for him. And, um, you know, explain to him that he needed to apologize and kind of coach him through this. And, and I felt like it became my job to help him figure out how to go through life and taking your class really helped me to recognize that he can figure that out on his own. You know, I don't have to be there to do every little thing for him. He's fully capable of, of figuring out some of those things. And there's a time to intervene and there's a time to step back. And like you were saying before, stop parenting through the lens of fear and allow my child the opportunity to build that confidence on his own and make those decisions for himself and really feel, feel confident that he knows what to do and then watch him continue to do it as he grows and learns. Right. And it's, it's hard to trust our children. And I think that as women, especially women who have had careers and who have had higher education and feel, we feel like we should know it all. And we feel like we Mm -hmm. have succeeded in other areas of our life and that we need to be like, not just succeeding, but like, really like doing it well when it comes to parenting too. And I think that sort of filters over also. And I just like, I can't, I, I, as I become more aware of this impact of society's influence on the way that I parent, I just, I see it all over. Like I was at the mall Mm -hmm. last week and my daughter who just turned three was, she was maybe like six feet in front of me walking through a department store and someone like stopped and got down and like took her arm and was like, Oh, oh dear. Who do you belong to? And I, and I was just like, Oh me, like I'm right here. Like I can like literally see you and hear you. I'm six feet away from her. But it was this idea that like, Oh, like who do you belong to? You're lost. And like, she's Mm -hmm. not lost because she's six feet in front of me. Like she's I'm here. And, but I think like, because I do feel really confident in this and I feel that, like you said, you know, this is really important in letting our kids grow and explore and have little bits of freedom. I feel totally confident in my decision to let her walk six feet in front of me in a department store. So I don't really feel undermined when someone says that to me. I almost just want to roll my eyes and be like, lady, like I'm right here. Like you can see me, like, come on. But it does, sometimes it it, it makes me like, I have this hint of questioning, like, oh my gosh, like, should she have been two feet from me? Should she have been arm's length from me? Like, am I doing enough? Should I be closer? Like, I, I find that even though I do feel really confident that I can second, I find myself second guessing myself still. Oh, for sure. And, and, you know, even for myself, like I said, this is something that I've really just started to come to terms with. I think I've always known deep down that this is how I want to parent, but I haven't had the courage to, to really move forward and do it. And so I still, you know, I definitely find myself, um, 
you know, stopping and, and having to kind of check myself to say, wait a second, you're doing it again. And I think I will for a really long time because, you know, I've been raising him this way for three years. And, um, and so it, it's, it's hard to break those habits. Um, but you know, for me, it's, I, I do still have those thoughts of what, what does that person think? Or, you know, we had an instance where, we were at one of those trampoline parks and I was letting my son just kind of walk around and do his thing. And I was following behind him. Um, but I had a five and a half month old baby that I was also lugging around and, and trying to, um, you know, make sure I had all, of, uh, his stuff. And, and, uh, and so there was this point in time when we had to leave and my son threw this huge tantrum in the middle of the trampoline park. And I panicked, even though I knew that this was going to happen. And I had been preparing him that we needed to leave. And I know that he's three years old. And that's what three year olds do when you tell them that their fun is over. But in my head, automatically, you know, I, I, I felt like parents were looking at me and staring at me and judging me and almost kind of thinking like, what is she going to do? What is she going to do next? Is she going to, you know, pick him up and drag him across the trampoline park? Is she going to let him sit there and figure it out? And I felt this pressure of, I need to make the right decision. And it ended up making me more flustered. And I probably didn't handle the situation the way that I wanted to, in the end, we all survived and we all left and everyone ended up happy. But I do find that I, I am very aware of, of my surroundings and I don't feel as confident yet. I know that the things I'm doing are helping to build that confidence, but I still find that I am second guessing things or, you know, wondering if other people are, are looking down upon me, which is one of those schemas that I have to sit with and, and kind of unravel, um, for myself. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, parenting is a hard gig. It's really, uh, like you said before, I, I came from a successful career. I, you know, have a college education. I felt like I had, um, you know, done, you know, good things in my life. I had some achievements under my belt and then I had kids and I was like, holy cow, <laughs> this is very humbling. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, it's, mm-hmm. I think we're all still so new in this journey that we're still trying to just decide what are our parenting values and what do those look mm-hmm. like? What are we really trying to instill in our kids? And I, like I, I said, I do feel secure about the things that I hold important to me and the way that I'm raising my kids, but it doesn't, it's, I can still be disarmed rather easily. Like we were at, my daughter turned three just like two weeks ago and we were at her three-year appointment with a pediatrician and she was, she's a fast talker. She's from New York city. She moved up to the suburbs in the past few years, I think. And she talks really fast. She's very good, but she talks very fast. Um, And she was going through just kind of talking about what the next year is going to look like for my daughter. And my daughter, my son is five and he'll be in kindergarten in the fall and we're going to homeschool. And she, and she knew that because I was in a couple months ago with my son 
And she asked me, she's like, so are you going to homeschool her in the fall? And I said, oh, actually, no, I'm going to send her to the local nursery school for the next two years so that I can have a little bit more time to focus on my son, a little bit more one-on-one time as we're kind of trying to figure out the homeschool journey for us. And just to get my daughter out and socializing and get her out of the house since she hasn't had much of that experience yet. So I said this to her. I was like, you know, for the next two years, she's going to go a couple afternoons a week to nursery school, and she'll start that in the fall. And she looked at me and she said, well, what about until then? And I was kind of like, well, what do you mean until then? Like, until then, like, she's hanging out at home, like with the babysitter and she's playing and like spending time Mm -hmm. with me. And like, but it was just this way she said, like, well, what about until then? Like, what are you doing to enrich her academic career until Mm -hmm. she starts nursery school at three? And I don't think she intended it like that, but that's definitely the way that it came across to me. And it sort of, I felt like I needed to like start spitting out like things that I was like, well, um, we're going to color and we're going to paint and we're, you know, like, and and that Mm -hmm. is, and that's something that we talk about in the masterclass, this idea that as parents, we don't have to be the constant entertainers and it's not our job to provide all these activities and that again is something that I feel very strongly about and I'm I have a deep conviction in but I can still be disarmed by people like this who sort of question well what are you doing like what exactly are you doing (laughs) yeah and that was so freeing for me I'm I'm not one of those parents like I am not a Pinterest mom I am not a crafty person I feel like I have some creativity in me, but it's just, it's not in childhood crafts. That's, you know, or activities, that's just not where it is. And um, yeah, you know, it's, it's been interesting to me. So last year we had my nephew living with us while my sister was deployed to Iraq and my nephew and my son are about eight months apart. And so all of a sudden I went from having just my son to now having two two-year-olds and um, getting ready to, to welcome a baby. And I felt like I needed to provide all of this educational stimulation for some reason to these two little children, mainly because they fought like cats and dogs um, most days. And so I, I felt like I needed to come up with all these different ways to keep them occupied so that they weren't arguing and fighting all day long. And it was exhausting, especially towards the end of my pregnancy. I kept thinking to myself, this can't be how this is supposed to go down. Like there has to be another solution. And, you know, it wasn't until after the baby was born that I had started to really start to follow more with your podcast and and some of your uh, Instagram stories. And, and then heard about the masterclass that I was hearing, you know, this, this, simplicity was being placed on my heart. Like you need to do something different. And when we started talking about, you know, not having to be your child's entertainer, um, it was, it was so freeing for me to think, Oh, thank goodness. Because that is just really one, not what I want to be doing. And two, it's exhausting. It is. And I can't tell you how many parents tell me or ask me rather, how much do you pretend play with your kids? And it, because it pretend playing with kids is like a, a thing for parents. Like parents hate it. Mm-hmm. Like just across the board, there are very few parents. And if you're listening and you're a parent out there that loves to pretend play with your kids, God bless you. But most <laughs> of the parents that talk to me say, I just like, it's really miserable. Like I really don't like to do it. I'm like if you don't like to do it, then don't do it. <laughs> And I just, and I really do feel like that if it's not natural to you and it's not, because as adults, we have this really 
um, this very strong divide between reality and fantasy. And it feels very inauthentic when we pretend play because we really can't get into character the way that our kids do because they, fantasy and reality is so enmeshed to them that it becomes, it's second nature for them to pretend sure. play. But for us, it's really inauthentic and it's uncomfortable a lot of times. But a lot of parents just like feel like they need to push through the discomfort and they feel like they need to do the pretend playing. And I just, I'm like, no, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. And like your mm-hmm. child will not be neglected and will not be traumatized and <laughs> exactly will not be poorly attached or any of these things that you think will happen if you don't do it. And there's so many things in parenthood. I feel like we are better off as parents and they are better off as children if we don't do Absolutely. You know, I think I felt guilty. I was, I was taking your class, although the first four weeks, you know, we were really focusing on, on the, the physical stuff in the home. Um, but you know, my nephew had just left at the end of the year and all of a sudden my son, even though, you know, they fought all day long, he had just lost his playmate. And so then I felt the need to kind of make up for that. And so I would find myself doing more with him, but as I really started moving toward um, getting rid of more things in my home, especially when we were focusing on simplifying the toys and and some of those other things, I recognized that by just having a few quality things in my home that would allow my son to engage and become more creative and um, use his imagination and be innovative, it it kind of started to take the burden off of me on its own because he was actually playing with things, not just playing with a toy, throwing it off to the side, playing with another toy, throwing it off to the side because we had so much stuff. Now I was finding, you know, while it's still a process and he definitely still comes to me and wants to pretend play or, you know, play a game or do a puzzle or things like that. And I certainly don't turn him down if I, you know, am able to sit down and do those things with him. But it's helped me to take the guilt away from saying, I must do these things. I'm, I'm recognizing that telling him after I feed the baby or after I get done doing this, you know, showing him that some of the things that I have to do are also very important and that he has plenty of things to keep him occupied until that time. And then we can, you know, do this or that or whatever it is that he wants to do. We can have that engagement, but I don't have to play for an hour to feel, you know, to make him feel satisfied. And so it's just, it's really been interesting to watch this all evolve. Um, but that is one area that I'm really kind of sticking, sticking to it. And I know some people might be thinking, well, that's really mean. Like You're not playing with your kid, uh, but, but he's, like you said, he's totally fine. He has plenty of things to keep him occupied and keep him busy. Um, I think, you know, there's just, sometimes he's, he's bored and he just comes to me and, and, we're now recognizing that boredom isn't always a bad thing and it, and it leads to some really, some really neat things. So. Yes, absolutely. I think that uh, so many of those things, absolutely. Now what, tell me a little bit more about the physical stuff and your experience simplifying the home. Where were you at a few months ago? Where are you at now? Yeah. So when we first started the program, I went like all in, (laughs) I I made a list of every single area in my house that needed to have, you know, a complete makeover. Um, I knew we had too much stuff. My husband and I, you know, got married when we were older. We both came into our marriage with all of our stuff and then we accumulated more stuff and then we had children and 
we started the class in January, which was right after Christmas. And also my son's birthday falls in December. So we were just inundated with things at that time. And so I was at my breaking point anyways. So I, um, I would go through, you know, different rooms in my home and, I was pretty much going to a donation center almost every day. I would just immediately, um, you know, recognize what it was that we were using, what it was we needed to store away. Everything else just got tossed into a box and put immediately into my vehicle so that I could take it to a donation center and I would not think twice about it. Um, and I haven't looked back. There is not one thing that I've gotten rid of that I wish I hadn't gotten rid of. Now, did you get the feeling, it sounds like you had this feeling, I know when I first started with the physical stuff that I like felt like I needed to get it out of my house immediately. Yes. Like it just, it had to go, like I couldn't look at it for one more second. It did. Yeah. I, I was exactly, I thought if I'm going to do this, I am going to do it right. And I'm not going to hold on to anything. I, I shouldn't say that. I will say that I do have one small room. Our, Our office right now is filled with, um, the things I told myself I'm going to have um, a garage sale this year, which now I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I need to just pack this stuff up and take it. But there are some things that I felt like as I was going through, and, and we talk about in your class, you know, the, the sheer magnitude of stuff that we have sometimes can make you feel really guilty. And I definitely started to have this feeling of, oh my goodness, how ridiculous are we? You know, how, why do we have to have this stuff? What made me think that we needed to have all this stuff socially, you know, how socially irresponsible of us to just continue to fill our home with things that we're not using or are just sitting here when there are people that could, could very well be putting this to use. And so, you know, I, I didn't feel as bad getting rid of, of most of it, but there were some things that I felt like, I needed to hang on to, or, you know, maybe, um, we could, you know, sell some things, especially when it came to some of the kids stuff. Um, you know, maybe we, we could sell some of these things and we told ourselves we would, whatever money we would make, then we would do something fun as a family to really start kind of shifting from the stuff to more of an experience and just spending time together. We felt like that would be a nice way to kind of fund some of those things. Um, but the more I'm looking at some of these things and, and every time I walk into the office, it just gives me anxiety. So part of me is already just feeling like I need to just, just get rid of it. But, um, it was so liberating in a way. I mean, I had things I was holding on to specifically because it, it reminded me of something, or I remembered the day that I wore it. Now that day might've been five years ago and I was never going to fit into this certain shirt or pair of pants or dress again, but I couldn't let go of it because it just felt sentimental to me. And I, I just started to realize that these things are just that they're things. The memory is in my head, the memory is in a photo or, you know, something that, that we've shared between my husband and I, or a friend and I, or whomever, but this physical shirt or dress is not what the memory is. So it's okay to let go of that. And that was, that was really, really liberating. Right. And back when I did a few journey to simplicity stories in the fall, I talked with Kristen Puzo, I think it was episode 121. And I, she shared something that I loved and she had talked about when she was getting rid of her clothes that 
those pieces of clothing that she was hanging on to for sentimental reasons were also the same pieces of clothing that were reminding her that they were too small and that she mm. was, she wasn't small enough and she was feeling less because of seeing those clothes, knowing that they didn't fit her anymore or they didn't look the same on her anymore after having kids. Mm-hmm. And that was such an eye-opener for me to think about how clothing can speak to us like that. And it does. Absolutely. Like, I definitely had stuff that didn't fit me anymore and I, I wanted to fit me again, sort of this wishful thinking type of clothing. Um, and I like I want to open my closet door and feel good about myself. I don't want to open my closet door and think like, oh, nothing fits me. And that's just, that's kind of an icky feeling to have about yourself every single day, day in and day out. It is my, my closet and my kitchen were probably the two areas that had the biggest transformation. And it's funny because now I walk into my closet and my husband's side is still just full (laughs) of, of clothes and shoes and, and things that he has. Um, but I love to just look at, at my side of the closet and see just a handful of things. And like you said, know that, um, that they fit me, they fit me properly. I feel good in them. I like them. And, you know, a couple months later, I will say that, you know, since the physical stuff in the class, I then started to really shift on the parenting part of it. And I'm probably still focusing more of my attention there. Um, but I have found that I've added a couple quality pieces to my wardrobe, obviously five and a half months postpartum, my body is still changing and I'm not entirely sure where it's going to end up. So, um, I don't want to, I I'm trying to be fiscally responsible as it relates to, you know, what I'm purchasing. Um, but it has been really nice to just, um, you know, to know that, like you said, the things that are in my closet are things that I feel good in. I know flatter me and, and fit me properly and um, that's made a huge difference when I when I get dressed. I still wear a lot of leggings and workout clothes because I'm a stay-at-home mom and I'm, you know, not really going anywhere fancy. But um, but when I do want to actually put on real clothes, I know that I have some some nice quality pieces that that I feel good in. So that's been that's been really great. Good. I love that. Now tell me about your kitchen. Cause I'm, and I'm going to put pictures of your kitchen in the show notes because <laughs> it's I, so embarrassing. no, it's amazing. I think it was such an awesome transformation. I love seeing pictures of it. I mean, it's, it's so gratifying, but when I look at how we were living, it's amazing to me that we could actually cook in that kitchen because every countertop, every space was taken up by something and, you know, I joked, I think in the, the online community that we had, um, you know, I had a lot of vases, a lot of bottle openers, a lot, like there were just multiples of things that you have to ask yourself, like, why do I have eight bottle openers? Like we're not, even, you know, we're not hosting that much. Like where are we accumulating these random things? But, um, you know, I, I wanted to get to the point where I had nothing on my countertops, which it probably took me two and a half weeks total to really go through. And that was like every day going through cabinets and shelves. And, and I went through every single drawer. I wiped down everything. Um, and I found that I really didn't need a whole lot. So thankfully, um, we now have a really nice 
kitchen that I enjoy sitting in the morning and having coffee. And uh, I feel like I can cook without feeling anxious that I'm going to spill or splatter on an important paper or something that's sitting on the countertop. Um, so yeah, it's, we've had a couple of things that have creeped their way back into the kitchen that I have to, um, you know, every week or so I try to do, um, I try to go through it and just make sure that, you know, we're back to, to square one every evening, you know, we're, we're wiping down and trying to get back to, to what people call kind of zero. And, you know, you just make sure that everything's, you know, put back and everything has a home. Um, but I think one of the things that we learned is that, you know, you want your living space to be an active space. And so if it's, if there are things taking up space that you're not using, you have to ask yourself why. And that was really important for me, especially in the kitchen. Um, as I mentioned earlier in, in, in my previous life, I was a nutritional health coach and I feel like I had accumulated a lot of cookbooks and gadgets and, and things that I used when I would do cooking classes or, or different, um, classes, uh, with, with some of my participants. And, you know, I just realized I, I didn't need all of those things. And so we were able to find local people in our community who, um, who needed them more than we did. And so we passed a lot on. And like I said before, I've, I've not regretted getting rid of one thing. So. Yeah. And I loved, I think for some reason, seeing the kitchen pictures was one of the best parts of the masterclass. I just loved seeing the transformations because I know how much time I end up spending in the kitchen and mm -hmm. changing that space can really change your cooking experience. It can. It does. Mm -hmm. There was somebody else and I can't remember who it was, but posted in the community group, their pictures and said for the first time that they actually felt like their kitchen didn't need a renovation because she had been like, see, like wanting a renovation for years and years. Yeah. And all of a sudden she like felt content now that mm -hmm. it was clean and it was clear. And she's like, I don't even need a new kitchen. Like I'm right? happy. I'm thrilled with what I have. And I thought that was really beautiful to hear that. There have been so many moments that I have found, um, to be, you know, really eye opening. And like I said, that it was, it was really fascinating to me that there were women and, and men from all over the world who were kind of participating in this class and to see how, how different all of our lives were, but how the same things weighed on each of us. Um, it was just incredibly fascinating to me. I, I learned so much, not just from the class, but from some of the people that were in the class as well. It was, it was really, really, um, it, it's been, and it sounds kind of corny, but it really has been life-changing for, for me. So, um, oh, I love to hear that. And it was such mm -hmm. a, such a great experience. I'm excited to be able to do it again with a new group. Um, but yeah, I think it was, it was a lot of fun and I learned so much through these online, like, I feel like I'm the facilitator, but at the same time, I'm also a student because everyone that I come in contact with, I'm always learning from, which is, makes me feel even more blessed to be doing this job. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Nicole. This has been so great. It's been fun chatting with you and learning more about you and your journey. And I'm looking forward to keeping up to see how things continue to change and grow. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's been, it's been, like I said, just a completely life-changing experience for us. And um, we're now, you know, on this path and, and definitely recognize that, that there is no looking back. We are, we are all in and I'm, I'm too excited to see, see where we end up. So good. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to get to the show notes, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 154. 
I would absolutely love to have you in the masterclass. We are starting on April 30th and enrollment is open now. So I encourage you go ahead and grab your spot. Go to simplefamilies.com forward slash masterclass. I know it's a bold statement, but I'm going to make it. This program will be transformational for your family. Imagine spending your days less cleaning up and more time connecting with the people that matter the most. You're going to come out of this program more content, more joyful, and lighter than ever before. Thanks again for tuning in and being a part of Simple Families. Have a good one.